thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. The Real Food Real is a fresh and educational podcast dedicated to your health. We get real on current research, debunk food myths, and educate you on how to just eat real food. Your host, Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist, is one of Australia's leading sports nutritionists, passionate about simplifying nutrition and addicted to coconut lattes, smoothies, and sweet potato. If you love the show, then please leave us a review on iTunes. Share the real food reel with your friends and continue to spread the real food love. Hello and welcome back to The Real Food Real. Today on the show, we are joined by Katie King from The Balanced Nutritionist. Now, Katie reached out to me because of a situation that she's seeing quite commonly in her clinic with young women presenting with, you know, lots of health challenges and unfortunately some unhealthy habits and you know, a myriad of health complications that go along with that. So this is obviously a really important area for us to discuss. So I was really happy that um, Katie, you know, approached me and I'm really excited to discuss holistic nutrition for young women with Katie. And thanks for your time today, Katie. No worries, Steph. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I think it's a really important issue and I'd love for you to just you know, set the scene for us in terms of what you are seeing in clinic and what are the typical symptoms that are presenting in this particular age group? Yep, absolutely. Um, Okay, so obviously everybody that comes into your doors is an individual, but specifically around this um, clientele, I'm definitely seeing a lot of similarities in what they're presenting with. So usually they come into the clinic, in fact, probably the main complaint is just a lack of energy, um, you know, but I'm talking sort of absolute exhaustion from waking in the morning um, and then just literally getting through the day one foot in front of the other and then at night this kind of second wind, difficulty getting to bed, not nodding off until after midnight, so really skewed um, diurnal rhythm there. Um, part of the picture often includes anxiety and I think if we consider what these young women are experiencing at this time in their lives, they're going from sort of a structured school environment, um, you know, a couple of hundred people, friends, structured schedule, all of that sort of thing to all of a sudden having to juggle um, uni or whatever else they might be doing, part-time work, writing their own schedule, meeting guys. Um, It can be, you know, even just looking back, you can – um, imagine that that would be quite, um, I guess, like challenging, um, you know, coming coming up against all of those things. And also at that age, all of a sudden you're, ex- you're expected to just know what you want to do with the rest of your life. Um, so that plays a part as well. Um, digestive stuff is definitely a big part of the picture that I'm seeing in some of these um, women. So anything from alternating bowels um, or, you know, one or the other, severe constipation or diarrhoea, really random pains and discomforts, sometimes associated with eating, sometimes not. Um, I've even seen a few cases of reflux at this age and, you know, women have come in after they've been or, you know, they've been taking a, a proton pump inhibitor for some time to treat that. I'll throw this in here um, 
at this point as well because it's closely related, definitely seeing quite often like a sinusy picture as well. So hay fever, congestion. Um, I remember having a couple of clients who literally were having to go to sleep at night elevating themselves on, you know, three or four pillows just so that they could breathe um, through the night. So lots of congestion, um, which comes hand in hand with that gut picture, um, definitely, and also sort of can indicate that there may be some sort of pretty severe food intolerance issues going on. And then I guess the final thing is um, a hormonal picture. So that seems to vary. It might be regular periods, um, really heavy bleeding, dysmenorrhea, so lots of pain or just really shocking PMS. Um, and that generally comes out um, through some deeper questioning, I suppose, because usually at this time they've been put on the oral contraceptive pill. So the symptoms are sort of managed as a result of that. So that that sort of underlies um, the picture. And finally, um, with, you know, you can imagine with all of those things going on, um, they're feeling pretty shocking overall, but also severe headaches and migraines. I sort of see that come up, come up a lot in this picture as well. So that's definitely, that's sort of the overall symptom picture. And I would say with confidence that out of everybody I've sort of seen in this um, age group, let's say sort of 17 to 20 young women, you know, you could almost tick sort of six out of eight of those symptoms in all of them. Yeah, it's crazy to think that a lot of them are are unfortunately being medicated, which I think is a big problem, um, you know, as part of this, the discussion being very Band-Aid in orientation. So, you know, whether it is that they've obviously had a um, challenge with their menstrual cycle so they've been given the pill or reflux and given you know PPIs and it's then on the other hand fantastic that they're coming to see someone like you so that you can explore the bigger picture and certainly educate them as to what needs to be done to actually fix these problems rather than masking the symptoms yeah yeah it's like peeling back the layers of an onion I guess um and that's usually what I sort of say to anyone with that kind of complex picture. It's, okay, well, let's shed one layer and then see what happens to everything else in the process and keep working until we get back to that, you know, healthy um, healthy picture overall. Yeah. And so obviously we're talking about healthier um, and I think, you know, it's, it's obviously not just this age group, but if we if we do keep it quite specific, I mean, there's a lot of pressure on adolescents these days and I think for some people that can manifest in either, you know, changes in one's relationship with food or it might be a body image type scenario or it is that, you know, that strong anxiety and depression that is a result of all those pressures that one is faced at that time, like you said, to the 17 to 20, is that something you're seeing in terms of those sorts of patterns as well? Yeah, absolutely. And I think what you just said, Steph, is so bang on. It's not just this age group, but, mm. um, you know, it, it's it's everywhere. And social media now and the internet, 
we are bombarded with advice and bombarded with what things should be like. And I think it's stepping back from that and working out what is right for the individual at that particular time in their life. Um, The other thing is um, having a discussion with this particular age in particular around what is normal. I think that's really powerful. Um, I'm talking um, I've sort of sorry I've moved a little bit away from the mental health aspect and the body image aspect here but even though we're bombarded with all this stuff about what we should eat and what we shouldn't eat and rah 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 I found women this age they don't really know what what their bodily function should be like so they don't know what's a normal bowel motion like some of them are coming in with diarrhea and, you know, they're going with urgency five, six, seven times a day, but they don't realise that that's actually not normal yeah. just because no one's ever had that discussion. And same even with, um, you know, with a menstrual cycle, like working out or, you know, educating them what is a healthy menstrual cycle um, and, you know, from a mental health aspect as well, like, you know, what is, is healthy in, in relation to um moods and how people are feeling in relation to food and that sort of thing so there's definitely while on one aspect we are bombarded with all of this information about how it should be and what we should be doing there's also this lack of clarity around sort of what's what's actually normal and what are what are the signals that things are starting to go wrong so that people can recognize them you know two or three years earlier than they are and they're not ending up in a complete health crisis um you know which is kind of the picture that we're seeing does that sort of make sense oh absolutely and i think it's unfortunate that these sorts of conversations aren't taught in something like high school especially because you know most people are still going to see a doctor for health advice which i personally wouldn't do but aside um the reality is, is all they ever then know is that you fix something by taking something else. And that's, again, what we see in these examples where the pills used as a Band-Aid or there's, you know, no dietary conversation about why that reflux is occurring. So you're right, it is about that education so that we all learn more about what you know what should be happening and so that we can recognize lack of health or illness before we you know before it gets too late or before it gets too severe absolutely Mm. yeah that's so right um yeah totally and I, i i'll say i think it fits nicely um what i have found to i reckon in half of the women that i'm seeing of this age I reckon half of it starts with an iron deficiency. Like literally one that is it's such a it's such a, a basic thing to fix with diet and you know maybe a few months worth of supplementation. Mm. And I think half of the girls that I've seen at this age have ended up um, they may have or they may have been told, you know, two, three years earlier, look, you know, your iron's really low, you should supplement or you should do X, Y, Z. They either haven't followed it through because they haven't sort of recognised the importance or they've followed it through 
and ended up taking something that's made them constipated. Yeah. So they've stopped. And then there's this flow-on effect because all of a sudden they're like chronically iron deficient, which can turn into, you know, everything affects everything else. So like I quite often I see that picture of really low iron and then all of a sudden the thyroid starts to, you know, play a few games and you don't want that at the age of 18. Um, and obviously, you know, that's where it starts. It goes from exhaustion, fatigue, um, to, you know, low mood, lack of concentration, and this whole web of symptoms starts to develop. So for this age group in particular, I think, you know, to get really specific, um, you know, looking at iron is, is one of the things that I think is just so, so important um, for sure because, yeah, it can be a bit of a trigger for this cascade of picture happening. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, certainly some strong blood tests to have a look at what's going on so they can clearly see what obviously the steps need to then be from a treatment plan point of view. But what about that in line with, so I wanted to go back to your comment about social media because I think this is a really big part of it. And certainly what I'm seeing is this ideal or this idea that Thin equals healthy, which could not be further from the truth. So I see or hear of young women setting these ridiculous body fat goals or trying to look like a female in a picture on Instagram where she's dehydrated and hasn't eaten for a few days, you know, expecting that's what people A, look like when they're healthy and, and B, look like all the time. And yeah. I think it's a really important area for us to explore because, you know, firstly, women are designed to carry the, you know, a healthy level of body fat so that we have functioning hormones. So we have a healthy menstrual cycle, which, you know, very much relates to everything from mental health, gut health and fertility. Mm-hmm. But because our society is so wired to think that, um, thin is better, I'm really worried that they we're then creating all these problems because of that expectation. So, you know, whether it's calorie counting or even unfortunately situations like bulimia or anorexia, then obviously the, the health problems that come from that, um, you know, can definitely be, you know, what's presenting in, in your clinic and, and what I'm seeing. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And you can see that on um, social media. You see this kind of, um, if you look at some of those pictures and and those accounts and whatnot, um, girls at a vulnerable age are getting on and asking for very specific advice Mm. like, oh, what do you eat? Oh, my gosh, how much do you train? Um, What do you lift in the gym? Um, And and it's short-term you know, they're trying to set, like you said, these trying to reach these unrealistic and unhealthy um, images and the long-term implications are just, you know, absolutely horrendous. I, I agree with you and I think, you know, everyone knows my story and I certainly don't have um, the greatest history. I mean, it was decades ago now but, you know, I... I strongly believe that I did some 
you know, some long-term damage to my metabolism from years of disordered eating. And if I knew then what I know now, I would have done things very differently. So I feel like this conversation needs to educate young women that, you know, the choices they make now have huge decisions or sorry, are huge decisions and create huge implications for what their health is going to be like in their 30s and 40s and ongoing. And, you know, granted when you're 17, that's probably your last priority. But, you know, I wish I had someone that had told me this back then. Yeah, because ultimately um, one of the things I've thought about in terms of this area is that if it's not fixed at this point, like we're saying now, if it's not addressed properly, what happens is in 10 to 15 years' time, they end up in someone's office, like, you know, our office again, and that time it's I can't fall pregnant, Mm. I've been told I have to have IVF, can you help me? And that issue, you're not looking at, you know, two years' worth of damage at that point, you're looking at 15. Yeah. Um, That's devastating. Oh, I agree. And, you know, my experience was um, very eye-opening, because I didn't have a menstrual cycle for a very long time and I spoke to multiple doctors and all of them brushed it off as being not a problem, just come back to me when you're looking to have a baby. And I just think that is so unfortunate. I mean, I obviously found another way, thankfully, but I'm, I'm confident that this is still happening. So people are being told that it doesn't matter if you're not having a normal menstrual cycle. Um, deal with it later which is the last thing you want to do because you know whilst when you're 17 you're not thinking about your fertility markers um, you, you actually need to be like you want to be making really positive health decisions so you don't end up being that female that um, has decades of damage to undo yeah absolutely and you don't want to you want to change the perception then and there that you know this you know, re-educate and redefine what is healthy because otherwise um, they're going to end up like, you know, so many other women that we see that every single minute of every single day revolves around, oh, I'm really hungry. What am I going to eat next? Oh, I can't eat that. Oh, I can only eat this or that has too many calories in it. Mm. And that's not a way to live a life either. Um, That's not nourishing on a physical or a mental level. Um, and it just, you know, it it just becomes, it just rules people. So this this is why I think this age group is great to infiltrate and sort of educate, um, and yeah, exactly, peel back the layers of everything that's going on and take the time to do it properly, um, so that it's not a problem in. 10, 15, 20, 25 years' time. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's really important to remember or to reiterate that social media really is a highlight reel. So for those that are listening that feel like they're in that sort of vortex where they, you know, want to look like someone or do what they do, what you need to remember is you don't have the full story. So like I said before, you don't know that that photo hasn't been taken after you know, severe calorie depletion and dehydration. And 
you know, that is not a goal to aspire to. You also don't know someone's struggles. You know, I think, again, when we stop linking thin with being healthy, we'll be able to step back from this goal that is, you know, for some people, unrealistic you know everyone's so different we've all got different genetics and a different metabolism and you know a different um frame so setting a goal to look like someone else is disastrous particularly because there are too many unhealthy practices happening in the nutrition and and fitness and health space yeah yeah and i can you know relate um, you know, really strongly to that as well. Like I did a, um, what would have been three and a half years now, years ago now, I did a, a body sculpting competition and people, you know, I got obviously a lot of compliments. You look awesome, you know, like you're so lean. Um, you know, I was on stage in a tiny little bikini and it was a, it was a goal to me at the time um, to get to that level. But I, you know, you like you said before, being that way is not healthy. And no, I've never really told um, anyone how hard that was and how, sure, I might have looked great on the outside, apparently, according to standards, but I was exhausted. I could barely put one foot in front of the other after nine o'clock in the morning. Um, I was in tears, like randomly probably you know 40 percent of my waking time at that particular period of my life and it took me um you know I often talk to my partner about this it took me a good two and a half what it's 2017 now I reckon this time last year I started to feel normal again Mm. and that was three years after one fitness competition Mm. so um, you're absolutely right, Steph. Like everybody is different. Some people genetically are going to look like, you know, they're going to look like sports models. But, you know, the person who doesn't look like that normally is just as beautiful um, and definitely, you know, just as or, or far more healthy. Um, so, yeah, you're right. It's definitely a perception that we need to kind of, constantly challenge on social media and we probably all as women it doesn't matter who we are we all have an obligation to be mindful of that and really um try to I suppose dispel that kind of um body image dysmorphia oh absolutely and I think those of us that are a little bit probably more in the public eye and certainly even, um, you know, Instagram or um, bloggers that do have that sort of following, like I definitely don't, but, you know, I think it's their responsibility to realise the influence that they have on that audience. You know, if you're a nutritionist or if you're a fitness model or if you're a blogger that, has that young female audience please understand how influential you are and how what you do is is you know observed by them so it has to be coming from a place of truth Mm. and health because you know the decisions that we make now are so powerful for our long-term health 
Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy times, but just really important to be aware. And, you know, obviously on the Real Food Real food Reel, we talk about calories and that, you know, obviously fat loss isn't about calories in, calories out. But are you still seeing a lot of that real diet mentality and calorie restriction as well? I'm seeing a lot of confusion, mm. I have to say, just um, just in general, very, very confused people. And I think, again, it comes back to we're living so much of our life online um, that, you know, this bombardment of information is is really confronting. Mm. So I think um, if you can help someone just get back to doing the basics, that can be really, really powerful. Um, you know, but definitely in this in this particular age group, Steph, um, skipping meals seems to be a bit of a theme. Mm. Uh, you know, not eating all day, um, definitely a theme. And also just doing, you know, they must hear a message and then sort of cling on to it like I shouldn't eat red, red meat, red meat's bad, or I... Um, I need to go vegetarian or I should try veganism. And I think if anyone, but in particular this age group, is experimenting with that sort of thing and they're really headstrong about it, get some professional advice and do it in the best way that can be done. Yeah. Yeah. I agree because the irony is that, you know, there's this cognitive dissonance between the food that we do or do not eat and how we feel. I mean, if you're exhausted and you're skipping meals, please make the link that you are not supplying your body with the nutrients that you need to produce the energy that you require. So it becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy. And then, of course, what comes when you're exhausted, maybe it's overeating and binging, maybe it's anxiety because your nutrient status is so poor. For some, it's the the disruption of the gut health and, you know, it's this vicious cycle. So we've got to acknowledge that skipping meals or, you know, looking to food to solve a problem is going to be really problematic because of the flow-on effect, because of everything that that creates. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, the... I'm more than happy for anyone to have a healthy fat loss goal. Like there's absolutely nothing wrong with that within reason, but it's how you do it. So like you say, rather than just Googling what's on trend and veganism seems to be another way to disclose or hide that disordered eating, I'm sorry, but, you know, you won't find the answers in Google. So it's about looking for how to control your hormones and nourish your body but optimise your metabolism. So you're looking at today but also tomorrow. Yeah, and I think what you said then about healthy fat loss, mm. that's really key. Um, and I think I think that's the, the nice thing about maybe working in a more professional environment or working with a practitioner for a healthy fat loss goal. Um, it's being mindful that weight loss involves still a respect, like a level of respect for the body and you need to do it in a way that will not create an unhealthy relationship with food. Um, And in this particular age group, there definitely are, you know, times when perhaps 
um, they are carrying a little bit of ex- extra weight and, and extra body fat and that can have a flow-on effect to the way that they're feeling and their mental health and whatnot. But as a professional, you want to support that, um, but you also want to be mindful that it needs to be done in a way that they're still or they will start to feel good about themselves again and they're not defined by the size of their body or how fast they're losing weight or anything like that because that's another big, you know, clinical issue. I don't know if you – I'm well, of course you would see this, Steph, but – People come in, women in particular, oh, I need to lose weight. And there's 50 trillion other symptoms going on that need to be addressed as well. But absolutely, the weight picture is always, you know, it dominates, even if it's five kilos, you know. Um, And, again, that comes back to, well, this is how society perceives me. Yeah, I think there's a few things there. Like firstly, yes, I do see this, but I do love when I have a client, you know, we always start with uh, a conversation around goals. And when someone says to me that their goals are, you know, let's give an example, one, um, to have more energy, two, to learn how to feed myself, and then three, to lose a couple of kilos. Oh, I'm just so pleased that I'm dealing with someone that has their priorities in order because you won't lose body fat if your health is not your first goal yeah I mean you um, won't do it healthily and sustainable and sustainable um which is obviously what we're looking for and I think that's a really really important focus because you need to have your you know your ducks in a row so to speak but it's also that that speed conversation you know I think we're conditioned to a bit of a magic pill society, unfortunately, with programs like The Biggest Loser. We also see people that are quite big in this space losing 20 kilos in a matter of weeks and suddenly we think that that's actually, one, possible and, two, healthy. And I'm I'm here to say that, unfortunately, fat loss should be slow because um, that's yeah. how you're going to keep it off forever. And also in that picture, Steph, I think it's worth mentioning um, there's a big, big push for, you know, 12 and eight-week challenges in in gyms everywhere and it, it's always the focus, who's going to lose the most fat and sometimes, you know, they're training, two or, they're encouraging two or three sessions a day, high intensity um, at, you know, something like 1,200 calories or something. I mean, I'd be... I would get out of bed after a week of that. I'd be oh. stuffed. I, I mean, my breakfast is twelve hundred calories. Like honestly, <laughs> I mean, and that's one of the biggest lessons I got. Like, mm. it's interesting that we've gotten to this place on the podcast because I certainly haven't publicly spoken about my experience mm. with um, body sculpting. But one of the things that was so hard for me was coming from being a person who could function on six hours sleep I mean this I'm not saying this was healthy but I could function on six seven hours sleep I could you know smash my goals every day I could train every day I felt awesome to doing this competition getting to this level of leanness depleting myself so much and I have never been the same Mm. and you know that was two years of I mean there were times when I would literally have to go and nap 
this is a year after competition, I would go and nap in my bedroom or, you know, under the table or something if I was at work. Like literally I had to sleep because I was so exhausted. Um, So you can see that that is not a goal that we want most young women to be um, aspiring to. And what's coming out sometimes of these challenges at the end of it all um you know in on one hand they're great they're inspiring a healthy lifestyle they're you know their communities but you know there are some people who are going to eventually be damaged as a result of that level of intensity and that level of depletion being coupled together um which you know we need to bring that self-care side back in and that nurturing and that kind of anything to calm down the uh the cortisol levels as well yeah, I mean, let's not beat around the bush. I don't think, unfortunately, I've ever seen the sculpting done healthily. You know, I've tried to work with people before and educate them on um, manipulating their macronutrients, for example, but when there's a coach in their ear telling them that it's, you know, a 1,000 calories a day or 800 calories a day and all these ridiculous cutting protocols, like, of course that's going to end in a disordered relationship with food and a metabolism that will yo-yo until that, underlying issue is addressed yeah absolutely and um yeah I mean I uh, yeah I totally agree with you (laughs) and I think it's really important when we talk about weight is you know and I love this quote but it's your best weight is whatever weight you reach when you're living the healthiest life you actually enjoy you know there's no point setting a goal if that involves restriction and deprivation and disordered eating and leading to things like you know depression and anxiety it's absolutely not worth it so it's about you know looking at how you can optimize your health and when that's the goal a healthy weight will be the byproduct yeah and um i mean that whole i i think i put a post about this on social media the other day that whole the whole calorie side of things it's it if we take a step back and look at it, how when somebody is physically and mentally, um, their physical and mental activities can vary so much from day to day, the whole concept that we, we require the exact same number of nutrients and calories every day is very strange. And, I mean, if I apply that to, say, like, if I, if I took myself as a personal example, um, I'm doing a lot of running at the moment. So on a Sunday, I might be out for four hours. On Monday, I might smash back. I wouldn't even want to think about how many calories I smash back. But that's intuition. That's me listening to my body. That's a healing process. Um, but, you know, obviously, if, I, you know, if someone's going to have a sedentary day or um, they're not training for an event or they're not exercising, then that intuition should be different and and those requirements are going to be different and that's definitely one of the the drawbacks of um of calorie counting you stop people stop listening to their bodies um and their body's needs and you know they're relying on essentially uh, you know a number to kind of you know do the work for them i suppose yeah you're preaching to the choir (laughs) yeah so I wanted to also chat to you about what you've had success with in terms of um, let's start with the sort of dietary considerations that you've um, helped these young women address. Um, yeah, okay. So like I said, I, I want to say this, um, especially for people who are listening, that um, 
patience is really important mm. in any kind of nutritional slash holistic um, work because if you're looking at two, three, four years of, you know, maybe suboptimal nutrition or depletion, you're not going to be able to change a diet and be bouncing out of bed in a week's time. And I, I don't think we can rem- maybe we can't remind our clients enough of that. Um, it's just we we live in an instant society, again, back to social media, um, and changing the diet and the lifestyle definitely gives you results um, and people will feel better quickly but they're not going to restore their complete health in a matter of weeks. So it is something that needs to be worked on um, and it needs to be taken sort of one step at a time, particularly with this age group because, um, you know, if you – you know, you want to give them a perfect diet from the day, from day dot, it's just not going to happen. So some of the things that I look for is, um, well, for a start, actually encouraging them that they are, they need to eat their main meals at least, you know, they shouldn't be skipping lunch because they don't have time to prepare it or, you know, they're running late for the bus to uni or or whatever. So they need to be eating regular meals. Um, They need to be getting protein in and preferably, you know, an easy way of doing that is eat some protein with every meal and really with every snack if they're snacking as well um, because obviously we're, we're dominated by um, convenience foods and we all know that those convenience foods essentially contain one macronutrient and one only and that's obviously, you know, your unrefined carbohydrates. So protein is always missing from the diet. And that is going, you know, that is your building block for your brain chemistry, your neurotransmitters, your hormones. So you can see how the whole picture comes together. Um, You know, specifically, even if they're like eating a sandwich or something like that, are they actually getting protein in between the bread? Because half the time they're not, they're eating salad or something because they think, you know, that's the healthy way to do it and they're trying to deplete their calories. Um simple things like ditching things like fruit juice um, and soft drink obviously but fruit juice as well because it's it's another carbohydrate that really it's a simple sugar that's pushing that kind of blood sugar roller coaster and it's going to really um, play out on someone's anxiety levels and you know their energy is going to be really unstable throughout the day as well um, <clears throat> I would look at this is something really uh, simple that if there's a lot of sinusy congestion stuff, milk, how much milk are they drinking um, purely from a nutritional perspective because that's really mucus forming. And I've found sometimes you say, look, hey, how about we just ditch the cow's milk for a few weeks, um, pull right back on any other dairy, and all of a sudden – somebody can breathe again, which is, you know, um, quite good. Yeah, rather than requiring anything else um, more drastic. Absolutely. And, you know, that's a full gut repair picture still, but, you know, that that's something very simple that they can do and they don't have to go and see an ENT surgeon to mm-hmm. have, I don't know, something manipulated so that they can structurally breathe again. Mm. Um, you're just addressing an intolerance there. Um, getting, like, just getting some colour on the plate 
you know, anything. Um, because like I try to explain to people, all of those little vitamins and those minerals, they're like the um, they're like a piece of string that hold everything else together. And unless you want to be taking supplements for the rest of your life, if you really want to get what you need from food, you've got to optimise your vegetable intake and, and that's going to help with fibre and whatnot as well. Um, so that's kind of playing onto that digestive picture as well. Um, that's probably like... I don't really want to go into too much detail because I don't want to confuse or overwhelm people, but just looking at are they getting some protein in? Are they getting some colour into their meals? Are there any simple sugars there that can be literally ripped out? And with that caffeine, um, especially if there's an anxiety picture and they're having three or four coffees a day, you, you pull caffeine right back and all of a sudden the world is a more manageable place. Yeah. Look, some really lovely basic guidelines, I think, absolutely great place to start. I'm sure they'll make a big difference. What about the lifestyle side of things when we're seeing that that really high pressure and stress and anxiety picture? Yeah, okay. Um, that's a really good question. One thing, in fact, I was having this conversation literally just the other day. Um, I think at that age... Starting like if it's it's usually the mum particularly that that young girls are kind of close to, and maybe working with with working to develop a routine that's manageable because what I see is this pattern of um, sometimes this sort of late teen that they're sleeping till ten o'clock in the morning and then they might wake up go to uni come home eat some food, which might only be their second meal for the day, watch TV, go and study, and then go to bed at midnight or 1 o'clock in the morning, and then, oh, the next day they have to be out of bed for, at 6.30 for, you know, their part-time job or whatever. Mm. And their, their, their main issue is this whole exhaustion picture, but they're not allowing their body to develop its natural cortisol and melatonin levels. And I think just helping them to build a bit of a schedule it sounds so simple but it's so important we all know how bad shift work is so why be a shift worker if you don't have to be Mm. um that's that's sort of the way i put it um and like i said earlier it's difficult they've gone from a structured school environment to having you know a lot of different responsibilities to deal with so actually establishing a schedule, it, it may be a little bit overwhelming and it's probably something that they haven't actually considered. So that's one thing. Um, definitely like, I mean, I've got some affiliations. So, um, you know, depending on where they're at, it'll be, okay, why don't we just start a pattern of walking three times a week? Um, and that might be something that they can do with a family member. Um, just to get some exercise in there and sort of naturally modulate some of those, you know, neurotransmitters and whatnot as well. Um, other people are going to be in a place where they might consider doing some yoga or something like that or, um, you know, joining a, a little gym or something, you know, within, you know, a gym that actually promotes a healthy environment definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it sort of varies but definitely I definitely talk about um, 
those lifestyle routines and the exercise. Sometimes you can't bring exercise into the picture immediately because they're just too exhausted um, and that needs to wait. The other thing as well um, that I really wanted to mention is cook with your parents or if there's mums who are listening to this podcast, teach your like teach your kids, male and female, to cook because that's something I don't know about you, Steph, but I take it for granted. And my mum cooks everything from scratch. And when I moved out, I remember all my housemates used to say, oh, my gosh, teach me how to, like, make that casserole and how did you make that dish? And I just like, well, I just did. Like, it's not that difficult. (laughs) You forget these kinds of life skills. Kids aren't being taught them in school. And even if a young woman can move out of home at 21 and she knows how to make five recipes, that's awesome. Like that's five more than than most people are doing at the moment. So so they're not going to have to rely on that convenience lifestyle so much or even just, you know, eating everything out of a packet or a frozen meal. So that I think is it's just it's a skill that you don't realize you're missing, I think, until you're out of that home environment. Oh, I totally agree. Like I used to meet people that didn't even know how to boil an egg. And yeah. granted, my skills never used to be fabulous. Like I had a tuna salad on my repertoire and that was it. But I know that for me personally, that definitely came from having a disordered relationship with food that I controlled everything so much. And then I decided, I think I would have been about 21 maybe when I decided I was going to teach myself all these cool things like how to make your own bars and breads and things like that. And, you know, you don't even need to dive down that sort of baked route at all. It's more about practical meals that can fuel you to look after your health because, you know, the food that you eat creates your health. So I agree. I think that's a really great point because, you know, those skills are then something that you can teach others and I think there's a lot of empowerment in sharing that knowledge when you know how good real food tastes and how much better you feel as a result absolutely yeah yeah absolutely exercise as well um you know any way to get to get out of to help um somebody get out of their own head sometimes is great Mm. oh I think exercise is a big part of it and obviously it's all about balancing the load so you know for someone that might already be doing um sort of obsessive exercising that's obviously quite different to your recommendations about getting started it's more about pairing things back to look at nourishing your body so adding in things like yoga and pilates and and beach walks that are that yin to yang balance that is I think everybody's ultimate goal absolutely Mm, beautiful um so then lastly essentially what do you think um is somebody's first step do you think it's getting some professional support if they're identifying some red flags in their own behavior following hearing today's show um oh absolutely if I absolutely like if they're at the point where they are um you know, willing to sort of share their journey with someone else and, and I guess um, take a bit of the load off, that's awesome. Mm. Some people don't feel that way. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like um, they may not even, this age group I think can be quite hard to infiltrate in the sense that they still have that mentality maybe that 
it's not okay to not be okay. You know, mm. every they're fine. Everything's fine. I can deal with it on my own. Yeah. So, I mean, you've got to, I will say that if they're that complex picture and, you know, they're on numerous medications and whatnot, at the end of the day, the underlying cause and what we've just talked about, hopefully we've gotten that message across the, the nutritional side of it and the lifestyle side of it has to be addressed at some point. So, you know, starting to just work on those things at a baseline level so that, you know, you can put those practices in place and be able to, you know, start to, you know, work with a doctor and whatnot and be able to come off those kinds of medications and, and get back to being like a healthy you know, young female, um, that's the ultimate goal, really. Because like we said before, if it doesn't happen at this age, they end up, you know, in an IVF office 15 years later, which might sound drastic, but I, I really believe that, you know, it, it's fundamental now to get things right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you've just got to take it one step at a time and start to get those good habits rolling um and eventually you know every week you'll just start to feel that little bit better yeah I agree and it is about recognizing the importance like I said earlier I wish there was someone that um had made me realize that at a young age so you know a really important topic but was there anything else that you wanted to add Katie um, no, not really, Steph. Like I think that whole being patient mm. point is really important. Um, but you know, it's worth it. Like mm. health is worth it. If you don't have your health, um, you really don't have anything. Yeah, absolutely. So by all means, get some professional support, but also, you know, take stock of the conversation that we've had today and set some goals for yourself to, work on improving, you know, your expectations of yourself. Um, certainly the maybe having a little bit of a social media detox if you feel like that's um, exacerbating how you're feeling about yourself. But look to nourish yourself with whole foods um, and introduce some lifestyle strategies like stress management and gentle exercise. So, Katie, I've loved chatting about this topic with you. Thank you for drawing it um, to everyone's attention and for those of you that are listening, please um, share with your loved ones. Let's get this conversation out there and make a difference to everyone's life. Katie, thanks again for your time. Thanks so much for having me, Steph. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.